This is the Value Investor Podcast with Tracy Reinick. All things value, all the time. Welcome back, value investors. So how do you get to be a great investor? How do you become a Warren Buffett, one of the greatest value investors ever, or Ann Scheiber, who I've talked about on the podcasts in the past? She took $5,000 and she uh, invested for 50 years in stocks, and she uh, ended up with $22 million by the time of her death. How do you become like them? What do they have in common? What can we learn from them? So I took a look into uh, what is going on with how they're able to do it. And I also took a look at uh, Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway annual letter for 2022. It is out now. And I got some good tips off of it. I don't know if any of you have read it yet. Lots of times I don't read the annual letter. I don't know why. It's always just kind of meh. It's, it's the annual letter. He does always have kind of these folksy things in there, but I feel like he's giving a little bit more advice now here because he's in his 90s and we don't know how many more annual letters we may have. So he's sharing some more of his wisdom um, in some of these letters. So that's why it was you know, interesting to take a look this time. But what, what do they have in common? So here's some of my uh, things that I pulled out of just looking at the annual letter and his advice in that and having looked into Ann Scheiber, here's some tips. So the first one is don't be a genius. So you can buy well-known companies. They have great businesses and strong brands and you're fine. You don't have to buy, you know, the next Amazon or the next Microsoft, some small little business that you don't really know what they do. Um, you think they might have a hot product, but they don't have it yet. You know, it's a small cap of some kind that nobody's really following. You you don't have to do those. None of neither of these two investors did that. They they bought big, well-respected companies that had a track record, that had the good earnings, uh, growing revenues, and then they held them. So that's my tip number two: hold for long periods. Use the power of compounding to your, your benefit. So Anne, we know she held for 50 years and she didn't sell anything. Even during the 1970s super bear market and the big sell-off that happened that decade, her portfolio declined 50% in that time period, but she just stayed in there. Now we know Buffett rarely sells. He does have to sell occasionally if the company's not working out like he did with IBM, for instance, like he sold the airline stocks when the pandemic hit. It, he didn't want to be in those during a pandemic, understandable. He did take a loss and he took a loss on the IBM investment. But otherwise, he does have a habit of holding for long periods and then using that compounding. What do I mean by compounding? A lot of these have dividends, a lot of the companies that he owns. And so you get out that dividend paid out to you, you reinvest it back into the shares, and then the next dividend payout, you suddenly have some more shares. And so then you're getting more the next quarter than you got the prior. And then those continue to buy more and compound on each other. And hopefully some of the companies you buy will increase their dividend, and then that's adding on to the ones that you got prior as well. 
So power of compounding is huge, and I'm going to have more on that in a little bit. Third thing is that he does use dividends. Even though Berkshire Hathaway itself does not pay a dividend, and a lot of people has complained over the years that it should, um, he has resisted paying out a dividend. They are now doing a, a share buyback, but no dividend. But he has bought a lot of dividend stocks over the years, and he is reaping the benefits of getting those dividends. And Scheiber also reaped the dividends. So we know from her stockbroker that by the end of her 50 years of investing, she was getting about $800,000 a year in dividends. And that was on a portfolio worth about $22 million. So that was in 1995, but at, at you know over those last 20 years or so, it just kept compounding. The companies increased the dividend. She owned more shares. She kept getting more. So it was a nice nice haul by the time she was done after 50 years. And then the fourth tip is it only takes one big winner. Now remember Ann Scheiber, she had uh, several bigger winners in her portfolio, she had a th- uh, 100 companies by the end. That is a lot. I don't recommend having 100 companies in your own portfolio. You might as well buy the S&P 500 at that point, um, and nothing wrong with that. But um, she had just that one big winner. So if you recall, in 1950, she bought 1,000 shares of the drug maker sharing plow, They were one of the big drug companies at that time. And 45 years later, she had 100, well, it was 1,000 shares. She had 128,000 shares thanks to splits and the dividends being reinvested. So she put $10,000 in initially. That was a lot of money in 1950. So not saying that, you know, we can all do what she did. That was a lot um, inflation adjusted, but it was worth $7.5 million by the time she died in 1995. Now, remember her whole portfolio was worth 22 million, so 7.5 million it was a huge percentage. And this harkens back to uh, Buffett's portfolio now in Berkshire Hathaway, his largest position, it's over 40% of the portfolio is Apple, and that is a huge percentage as well of his equity portfolio. And that is his current big winner as well. Now, Ann also bought Coca-Cola. That one, it went from $28,000 to $720,000 in 15 years. That was during the 1980s and 90s bull market. And that paid her, according to her broker, uh, $62,000 a year in dividends. Now, Merck bought Sharing Plow in 2009, so we don't know what the Sharing Plow would have kept doing, but I'm going to have more on Merck a little bit later as well. Coke is still around and still being Coke. Um, so that's a good segue because Buffett also owns Coke, right? So he basically took over right when Ann Scheiber died. So she owned it in the earlier period, and Buffett then um, bought it in 1994, she died in 1995, and he's talking about it in this year's, in 2022, annual letter. So I do recommend you read the annual letter, at least the opening part. It It's 140 pages, but the rest of it is really discussion on the business units 
And that's interesting too, but even he admits most people probably won't read that. They just read his kind of folksy letter at the front. But um, one of the important things he says in this year's letter is um, he admits he's not always right and not always that great of an investor. So he said, in 58 years of Berkshire management, most of his capital allocation decisions have been no better than so-so. That was what he said. In some cases, also bad moves he made may have been um, rescued by, and then he quotes, very large doses of luck. So he's admitting he has made mistakes, but he got lucky occasionally. Then he says, and I quote, our satisfactory results have been the product of about a dozen truly good decisions. That would be about one every five years. So he's admitting, as I've said many times, it only takes one and you're not going to get like dozens of these great winning stocks or buying great winning businesses. And he admits that he only has you know, a so-so track record of allocating the capital to anything that's great. But again, it only takes one or two big winners to make up your whole portfolio (laughs) Um, and even like your businesses. So it can mask a lot of errors. Let's just call it that, right? So then Buffett goes on to talk about two big winners, but one is not Apple. No, the first one is Coca-Cola. So the ticker is KO. And he talks about how Berkshire bought it in August 1994. They bought 400 million shares and it was $1.3 billion. That was a lot back then. It was like 5% of Berkshire's uh, total, you know, net worth at the time. So this was a big investment in 1994. He says the cash dividend in 1994 was 75 million. That's how much Berkshire got from the dividend. By 2022, it was 704 million. And then he said, quote, growth occurred every year, just as certain as birthdays, unquote. And he's talking about the growth in the dividend. So as of 2022, Coke has raised its dividend for 60 consecutive years. It is what is known as a dividend aristocrat. Those are companies that have raised 20 to 25 years, depending on who you ask. But several decades, they've raised the dividend every year, not just paid it out, but actually raised it. Now, some of them, when times get tough and it's like the Great Recession, they may only raise it a penny, but a raise is a raise and it still counts. So Coke has done it 60 consecutive years. So Buffett is basically saying he's just sitting back, getting the dividends. They're cashing the checks. He even uses that term, him and Charlie cashing the checks and the dividend is growing and compounding on itself. So we're not quite at 30 years yet on that investment. It is 29 years this year. And they have benefited from several stock splits. The last one was in 2012 on Coca-Cola. But what is Coke's actual return? This is what I was thinking as I'm reading the annual letter. I understand why he's talking about the dividend because for long-term investors, the dividend can be the extra like secret sauce, but the actual return on Coke has not been that good. So I used August 31st, 1994, the very end of August as my starting point, And I did it through March 1st and Coke is up 411% during that time period. But 
The S&P 500 is up 734%. This is all without any dividends. So Coke is yielding 3.1%. That would have a big impact. But the S&P 500 is also paying a dividend. It's under two. It's like 1.5 or something right now. Um, So a a lot less, about half. But that would have to be included in there. So basically, Coke has underperformed. And when I was looking around to try to figure out its performance for this podcast, I I was trying to find out if Coke had an investment calculator. So some of the older companies that have been around a lot of decades that have a lot of investors who are buying for the dividend and own a long time have an investment calculator on their actual investor relations page on their website. And some of them allow you to include a dividend reinvested in it and give you, you know, how much $10,000 invested 20 years ago would be today, but some of them don't. And I was kind of sad that Cokes did not have that. But while I was looking around for this, I found an article from a man who uh, wrote an article about owning Coke shares for 20 years. His name was Craig Stevens. You can Google it and find that article. And he owned from 1997, the article was in 2017. So that was his 20 years. But he talks about how he bought it because Buffett was in it in the 90s and he was a newer investor. And he's like, I'm going to do what Buffett does. And it has underperformed for that entire time period that he owned it as well. And he could have done better just owning the S&P 500. But he said he is getting the dividends. I think he said he had like 10,000 in it. His dividend was a little over $2,000, which was nice, but that was because it was compounding um, over all that time period. So he did make out a bit on the dividend side. Um, But while I was also looking around and when I found that guy's article, I thought I had found the Coca-Cola investment calculator because I did just do a quick search for it. And then up popped one that said Coca-Cola investment calculator. So I clicked on it. I put in my numbers before I realized it's not Coca-Cola, the beverage company, but Coca-Cola bottler, ticker C-O-K-E, the other Coke. They've been around for forever. So you could have invested just in the beverage side or the actual bottling company, Um, If you had invested $10,000 in Coca-Cola Bottler at the same time Buffett did, August 1994, uh, you would have had a, uh, if you put $10,000 in, you would have had a return of 2,952% according to this calculator. And it would have been worth $304,464. This is far better than the investment in the underlying beverage company, Coke. So just goes to show you, right, like how difficult it is to actually pick the winners. And um, maybe if Buffett had bought the bottler instead, imagine what his Coke return would be like now, that $1.3 billion in the bottler. But Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola bottler does pay a dividend. It's much less. It's just 0.36%. So this return was mostly driven by um, the sheer gains in the actual share price, unlike Coke's, which is really boosted by that 3% return. So Coke's return would really be a lot less um, you know, attractive without 
that dividend or with a dividend as small as Coca-Cola bottlers. But uh, keep that in mind. And when you're looking around for investment calculators, make sure you have the right company because some of them can seem the same. The Coca-Cola bottler investment calculator, by the way, has like red up at the top, which is like Coke's like logo, you know, colors and everything. So I wasn't paying that much attention. I'm like, oh, this is it. But it's not. But um, I did able to find this hidden gem of a stock that most people aren't talking about because Buffett doesn't own it. So it gets left aside. Um, the second stock he talks about is American Express, ticker AX at AXP is the ticker. He bought that one in 1995. All that the annual letter says is it was completed by 1995. So it doesn't say the month. So I just went off of the end of the year, 1995. That purchase was also 1.3 billion. So he did 1.3 billion in Coke and the next year, 1.3 billion in American Express. Both were about 5% of the holdings. So these were huge investments. And in that one, the dividends went from 41 million in 1995 to 302 million in 2022. So that's a lot less than what Coke is paying out because that dividend is only yielding 1.2%. So you're not getting quite as juicy there. Now the return, however, is better. So I used December 29th, 1995 through March 1st, 2023. And American Express is up 1,359% and the S&P 500 up 556%. So much better results for American Express. And then he goes on to say at the end of 2022, Coke was valued at 25 billion, American Express at 22 billion, each about 5% of Berkshire's net worth still today, even with the underperformance because the dividend was good and compounding over the course of that uh, long time period, even for American Express at just 1.2%. So then he says, the lesson for investors, and here's the quote, the weeds wither away in significance as the flowers bloom. <laughs> so this is pretty deep there. Um, I leave you to uh, contemplate that. Let me repeat it. The weeds wither away in significance as the flowers bloom, right? So over time, it takes just a few winners to work wonders. That's what he says. That's what I've always said, right? Just a few winners. And he says, and yes, it helps to start early and live well into your 90s. So that is one of the other lessons. Um, hold, holding for a long time, but Ann Scheiber held for 50 years. Warren Buffett is going 58 years at Berkshire Hathaway. And some of these investments, um, Coke at 29 years, American Express at 28 years now for both of those. But they're not even at 30 years yet. And look at um, what the dividend is doing. Um, and with American Express, look what the shares have done. So, you know, he has performed fairly well, but not as well as maybe he could have even in the S&P 500 in some cases, but you just need one of the bigger winners like this American Express up 1,359% versus the S&P up 556. And it will over, um, you know, uh, 
it'll give him some leeway and it'll give him some margin of error basically over Coke. He's able to keep holding on to that because of the dividend and because of the outperformance of American Express. So keep those things in mind. Another of Buffett's holdings that he did not mention in the annual letter is Chevron, ticker CVX, as we know. He went in big in that in just the last couple of years, but they recently announced here in 2023 an increase to their dividend of 6%. So that's now yielding or paying out uh, $1.51 per share quarterly. It was raised $0.09. Cents. They've raised their dividend 36 consecutive years now, which is even more impressive in a cyclical industry like Chevron is in, and when you had things like the pandemic where crude went negative, um, that is very impressive that they've stuck with their plan and they continue to raise it, even if it's just a penny. Now, Buffett owns um, 162.97 million shares of Chevron. So doing the math now with the new dividend, he's going to get a payout, a check, this year or this quarter, just for the quarter, of $246 million. For the year, um, that's with the amount of shares he has right now. But if he reinvests that money, he's going to buy more shares. We don't know what he's doing with the money. I'm not sure if he is buying more shares, actually. Um, but if he just kept it as same shares, then for the year, it's $984.4 million in just the dividend. Now, how does that compare? Um, you know, they just raised it 6%. That's only nine cents a share. And I know a lot of people are like, nine cents, meh, who cares? It's just a few dollars. So if you owned 100 shares of Chevron uh, last year, you were, or last quarter, you got a check for $142. This quarter, you're getting a check for $151. Well, that, that doesn't seem too shabby. I, I'm liking that increase. Um, that's not, that's not just like a buck. That's, that's decent. So I'm liking it. And for Buffett, he's getting an extra, um, 14.6 million per quarter, just from that nine cent share increase. So I don't think he minds that either. Right. So this will keep compounding. And in my experience, you really start to notice the payout impacts like, you know, Buffett might not notice this extra 14 million this time, or you might not notice the extra $9 you're getting if you only own 100 shares. But in five years, if they keep raising it and you keep reinvesting it, that's about when you start to notice in your own portfolio, like, hey, this thing is starting to generate like quite a bit of money here. And that's when it starts to get fun as a dividend investor. So even if the yield um, is just 1% on the dividend stock you own, I know that that may seem kind of depressing if you're into the dividends to only get the 1% instead of say like a 3%, you'll still see the impacts. And the 1% compounded over many years is important to your overall um, you know, returns for sure. So I took a look at the S&P 500 over just the last 10 years. So the S&P 500 from February 2013 to February 2023 had a return of 164.4% during that time or 10.2% annualized. That's very good. Um, but with the dividend reinvested, which is not 
that great, like I said. Um, what is it? I'm going to look just to make sure I have it correct. I know it's under two, though. Um, let's see. Um, it's giving me, it is 1.59. So a little bit over one, but still a lot of people would be like, meh, that's not that great. But if you invest reinvested that dividend, over the last 10 years, suddenly your return is 216.2% or 12.2% annualized. And $10,000 invested in 2013 without putting any more in would be $26,412 at the 10.2. But at 12.2, it's $31,618. So which one do you want? I'll take the 31,000, right? And that's just with the dividend reinvested on that smaller dividend. So um, these little parts, those little things add up. Now I went back and I took a look just to kind of see what was happening with Merck. Merck bought Sharing Plow. I've talked about it on prior podcasts. That's the one in Ann Scheiber's portfolio. I looked at Merck from December 29th, 1995 through March 1st, 2023. That's the same period of American Express. And that would have been like right when Ann Scheiber died and Buffett, you know, could have bought Merck then instead of American Express. Now Merck is up just 239.8% during that time period. And then remember the S&P 500 was up um, 556%, I think it was. So it's well underperforming over that time period. It was up big in the 1990s. All the drug stocks were, I've talked about this before on the podcast too, but over the last 20 years, it's really lagged. Now it's paying a dividend yielding 2.7%. So this return does not include the dividends. So the dividends would help you, but the dividends also going to help the S&P 500 as we know. So big winners are hard to get because Merck could have seemed like a big winner. It certainly was in the 90s. It did surge up there. But over the last 20 years or not even, it's not been one of the big winners. So, but you only need um, just the one. And Scheiber managed to buy Sharing Plow during a bullish period, obviously. And she owned it for the 45 years and it worked for her. But if Buffett had bought it when he bought Coke and American Express, just after she stopped owning it, it was not the same thing. Um, this is also why investing is hard, because what if you don't get that one winner? Um, nothing is wrong with an index. Remember, it pays you that dividend, as I've just explained, and that compounds too. So a lot of people just buy the Vanguard S&P 500 index. It's ticker V as in Victor, OO. I also own it in my own personal portfolio. Expense ratio is low. That's why we've all bought it. It's 0.03%. You want to keep that expense ratio as low as possible if you're going to buy and hold this for many years, because that will eat away at your returns, as we've seen. Just a 1% difference can make a huge difference over 30, 40, 50 years. Now there's some uh, ETFs that are zero fees that are launching and that are out there. I'm going to probably have Nina, maybe I'll have Nina come back on the show and talk about some of these zero fee ones. Should we maybe be buying those? Like, what's the catch? They got to make money somehow, right? Are they, how are they making money off me? They're not charging me anything. I don't know, 
but I got to have her on. Um, and remember, with all of these picks, there was nothing new in these. There wasn't actually any new innovation in Coca-Cola when Warren Buffett bought it in 1994. Even American Express, 1995. I think when I was on American Express homepage that they said they were they began business in 1850. So it's been around a while by the time Warren Buffett got into it. Um, the same thing with Sharing Plow. That had been around a while when Ann Shiver got into it. So there's nothing new here. There's no AI. There's no 3D printing. There's no cannabis drug or uh, stocks. There's no, um, you know, the latest hot thing. There's not even really hardly any tech. Um, so, you know, this method, the Buffett value method, and Scheiber, who also seemingly picked a lot of value type stocks, um, this is a method that has worked in the past to create great investors. So I will be covering the Berkshire annual meeting that was talked about in the letter. It's coming up again in May. It's in early May. I'm going to be covering it live again, like I did last year on Twitter. And I'm not going there in person, unfortunately, no, but I will be watching it. Hopefully they broadcast it like they did last year. They had some good coverage. It was on like CNBC with Yahoo, Yahoo Finance. And uh, we got numerous hours of Buffett and Munger, you know, just kind of chatting and then taking questions. So hopefully we get some of that again. We also got to hear from several of the company's business CEOs so those were in kind of like taped segments separately or when there was a break, because yes, even Munger and Buffett need to take a break. Um, they can't go on forever, but they do go for three or four hours. It's pretty impressive. And I will be covering all that because how many more do we get? We don't know. Um, he's still the Oracle. We still want to know what he's saying about value stocks. And I did think this annual letter was interesting because he is talking about just basically the passage of time as an investor. And uh, the longer you're in it with good companies, obviously that's a, a given, has to be some good companies, and you're getting paid for your patients through the dividends, um, you can have success. You can grow your own money. And he certainly has for Berkshire shareholders. So what are the stocks I talked about again on this show? So there was Sharing Plow, which is now owned by Merck, ticker MRK, Coca-Cola, of course, ticker KO. Then there's the Coke Bottlers. You might want to go check that one out. It's done even better than any of these other investments. Ticker C-O-K-E. They've been around forever too. So just goes to show you there's more than one way. There's more than one winner out there. Then American Express, ticker AXP. Nobody really talking much about it in recent years, I feel. Chevron, that's a new one in the portfolio, and they're paying out that big dividend, ticker C as in Charlie, V as in Victor, X. And then I did mention the Vanguard S&P 500. Um, this is just the index. It's very easy to buy. And with the low expense ratios, many of us own it in our own personal portfolios, including myself. And that's V as in Victor, O-O. V-O-O is the ticker. And as always, you want to be sure to uh, subscribe or somehow get the Value Investor Podcast because there's a lot of Buffett going on right now. He's, he's making moves. He's putting out these letters. He's going to have the annual meeting. Who knows what else we're going to be talking about? Uh, but 
uh, value is in and value is um, hot and there's plenty of value stocks that I'm going to be covering. So be sure to get us somewhere. Get us on Apple Podcasts. Get us on Spotify. Get us on Amazon Music. Get us on SoundCloud with the Zach's Market Edge. But be sure to get us somewhere and I'll see you again next week with some more value stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.